Do you ever get frustrated by the way that the, the way that things are in the world today? Do you ever feel discouraged because of the brokenness that you see in yourself and in others around you? How are we to make sense of evil in light of the gospel? As disciples of Jesus, we believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We believe that he's God's chosen king who has come to usher in the kingdom of God. We believe that Jesus has come to right every wrong, heal what is broken, restore what is lost, and make all things new by his powerful word. But our faith in Jesus does not always line up with our experience of Jesus. And Jesus knew that this would be our experience, which is why he gave us the parables about the nature of his kingdom in Matthew chapter 13. A parable is a way of telling a story. A parable is a way of pointing to a greater reality using examples from everyday life. The context for all of the parables that Jesus tells us in Matthew 13 is this announcement, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. To repent means to turn away from one thing and to focus on something else. It's a way of refocusing our attention. Jesus is essentially inviting us to turn away from ourselves and everything else and to focus on him. And when we look at him and when we listen to him speak, when we are in his presence, then he's saying that the reign and rule of God will come near, like we see happening all throughout the Gospels. Now, a common theme in the parables of Matthew chapter 13 is the apparent ineffectiveness of this announcement. Things are not happening the way that they should be. In the parable of the sower that we looked at last Sunday, the farmer is Jesus, the seed is the announcement, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. And the soil is our hearts. As Jesus sows his seed, there are four different responses, but only one good soil that produces a harvest. The message of the kingdom coming near appears to be ineffective. People were not experiencing the kingdom the way that they expected, especially John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin. If we flip back to Matthew chapter 3, we see that John the Baptist was preaching the same announcement that Jesus was preaching. Repent, for the kingdom of God has come near. John knew that something big was about to happen. He expected the kingdom of God to come in a certain kind of way. And then if we, if we fast forward to, to Matthew 11, John sent messengers to Jesus asking, are you the one who was to come or should we expect someone else? Why was John disappointed? Why was John kind of questioning Jesus' identity? Wasn't the news that he had received about all these miracles that Jesus was performing good news? Yes, but there was something missing in the way that Jesus was bringing about the kingdom. John expected judgment. Listen to Matthew chapter 3, verse 11. He's speaking to those who are questioning. John is speaking to those who are questioning his, his ministry. He said, I baptize you with water for repentance, 
But after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit meant God would come to be present with us and empower us to be holy like he is holy. Fire meant God would come to judge. John goes on to say, his winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. John expected kingdom power, but he also expected kingdom judgment of evil. John expected fire. Now, what makes this so painful for John is that he's in jail. He's being held captive by the evil, by the very chaff that he expected to be burned up with fire. I can imagine John thinking, I see all the miracles, Jesus, but where is the fire? Where is the removal of evil? I wonder how John would have felt during Holy Week on Palm Sunday as Jesus rides into Jerusalem with the crowds of people waving their palm branches, symbolizing their allegiance to him as king. But then on Good Friday, Jesus has not only not removed the evil, he's allowed the evil to arrest him and beat him and crucify him. What's going on? If the kingdom of God is breaking into the world, if the light has come shining out the darkness, if life is overcoming death, then why is there still so much evil? And why does it seem like evil is growing? We see the miracles, Jesus, but where is the fire? The parable of the wheat and the weeds helps to answer this question. Let's look at it in a bit of detail here. Look at verse 24, if you have a Bible. It's Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. If we were living in the first century and we heard this parable, we would instantly recognize the severity of this crime the kind of wheat that Jesus is talking about here is called darnel. Darnel is a poisonous plant that, if consumed, can cause dizziness, nausea, and even death. By contaminating another person's field with darnel, not only would it threaten the health of the farmer and his family, but it would ruin his crop, potentially, which could affect his financial stability, and his reputation. So there's a lot at stake here. The act of sowing bad seed in your neighbor's field was such an evil act that it was actually forbidden in Roman law and carried a severe punishment. Now, in order for us to see the point that Jesus is making in this parable, we need to understand two important facts about wheat and darnel. First, when wheat and darnel grow together, the roots of both plants become intertwined. In fact, the roots of darnel are stronger and go deeper than the roots of wheat, which means that you can't pull up the darnel without also pulling up the wheat. Second, you cannot tell the difference between the wheat and the darnel while they're growing. Once they mature and they become fully developed, then the difference is obvious. But while they're growing and developing, you cannot tell them apart. The farmer has no choice but to wait until the harvest to separate the wheat and the darnel. And this is the whole point. 
if the darnel is pulled up too soon, the wheat will be ruined. Jesus is telling us that the kingdom of God has come, and it is coming, but in the mystery of the kingdom, evil is allowed to remain. The mystery of the kingdom, says Jesus, is that there are these two sowings going on at the same time. Jesus, the son of man, is sowing seeds of his kingdom, and Jesus' enemy is sowing seeds of his kingdom. Jesus cannot remove the seeds of his enemy's kingdom yet, because to do so would be to damage the seeds of his own kingdom. Why? Because the roots of both plants are intertwined. And during the growth period, it's difficult to tell them apart. By necessity, Jesus must wait until both good and evil mature. Then fire will come. Then judgment will come. Now Jesus goes on to explain how evil works, and then he shows us how we should respond. Look at verse 36. Jesus explains the parable to his disciples. In verse 37, he says, he tells, he tells them that he is the one who sows good seed. The good seed are the children of the kingdom. The weeds, the darnel, are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sow them is the devil. The devil is bent on destroying Jesus and everything that Jesus is doing. How does the devil work? Flip back to verse 25. Jesus explains, while everyone was asleep, an enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and then went away. The devil is sneaky. No one realizes what he's doing. And he works right in the middle of where Jesus is working. When the harvest comes, Jesus says in verse 41, the son of man will send his angels and will collect out of his kingdom all that causes us to sin and all evildoers. Jesus is saying that the enemy sows his seeds in the world and even in the church where Jesus is working. This explains why for all throughout church history over the last 2,000 years, we see uh, that there's this attack, not only from without, from outside the church, but there's always, a, there's always a, a kind of a fight or an attack from within the church. Let's talk about it after the service, okay? There's always this kind of attack from within. De the devil is cunning. He sows his seeds among Jesus' seeds, and he works by imitation. Jesus sows seed, and the devil sows seed, which at the beginning and throughout the growth process looks very much like Jesus' seed. We see the devil's tactics playing out when Jesus is being tempted in the wilderness. The devil comes to him and he uses scripture to try to convince Jesus to disobey his father. The devil uses the same approach to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. The devil knows the word of God and he knows how to manipulate us to try to lead us astray. The Apostle Paul warns us that the devil disguises himself as an angel of light. There are such people as false teachers and false prophets who grab our attention at the beginning because they imitate Jesus. Their, their message is just close enough to the truth to get a hearing, but in the end, they're used by the evil one to divide and confuse and ultimately destroy the good work that Jesus is doing. Now, Paul also tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. False teachers and false prophets are not our enemy, actually. The devil is. There's a spiritual battle going on, and we need to be on our guard. 
This is, this is one of the imperatives that we can pull from this. We need to be on our guard and be careful how and who we are listening to. Jesus says, my sheep listen to my voice. They will never follow a stranger. And then he also tells us that you will know them by their fruit. And we also need to wait. In verse 28, Jesus says, the servants asked the farmer, do you want us to go and pull up the darnel? The farmer says, no, because while you are pulling up the darnel, you may also uproot the wheat. If judgment of evil comes too soon, it will affect the good. Premature judgment of evil has adverse consequences on the good. Now the thought is, if we let evil persist, if we do not act and root out the bad seed, surely the good seed will be harmed. But Jesus is not worried about his seeds growing alongside the seeds of the evil one. Wheat is not harmed by the growth of the darnel. He says in verse 30, let them both grow together until the harvest. The greater harm is not the presence of evil. The greater harm is the premature judging of evil. Final judgment of evil has to wait until the end. Why? Because God's judgment is just. It's perfect. And the only way for evil to be judged as evil is for evil to become fully mature. Judgment comes when it is finally clear that evil is not going to repent. Evil must be given time to show that it is fully evil and that there is no hope of conversion. This means, and this is good news, this means that before the end, there's still hope for seeds of Jesus' enemy. There's always this opportunity for evil to repent. God's justice is so great that he wants all of us to turn to him and to trust in him, and he waits until the harvest so that there can be no question about the rightness of his judgment. God waits until the end, and so must we. We must be discerning before the end. We must resist evil and overcome evil in our own lives with good before the end. We are to proclaim the gospel, calling evil to repent before the end, but we cannot judge before the end. There will come a day when Jesus will send his angels and there will be a great harvest. Verse 41, they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Fire is coming. The fact that Jesus uses the word fire reveals his hatred towards sin and evil. He doesn't hate people. He hates sin and evil because sin and evil destroy and mar the image of God in people. The cross is all about God's hatred towards sin and evil and him doing something about it. Jesus then died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He sent forth the Holy Spirit who's currently at work in the world convicting us of sin and turning us away from evil. When Jesus returns, sin and evil will be completely removed from our experience, and he says the righteous will shine like the sun. How should we respond to all of this? Romans 8 gives us a bit of direction here. Paul explains how our present suffering is not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. All of creation is groaning, longing for liberation from sin and evil and death. 
And we who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons and the redemption of our bodies. Paul says, for in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. And there's the key. We are to wait patiently. We are to turn and trust Jesus and put our hope fully in him. Paul goes on to say in Romans chapter 8, verse 34, he says that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, not even the seeds of the enemy who are growing up alongside of us. Friends, if you have faith in Jesus, then you have everything that you need to sustain you in the life of his kingdom now and forever. In him, we are eternally safe. In him, we get to share in his relationship with his Father. And in him, we are given the strength to endure not only difficult situations, but difficult people. We are being called to love even our enemies. And by God's grace, and through the message of the good news of the gospel, even bad seeds can be transformed into good seeds. Amen.